So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse um, 7, famous passage. It says, but we, but, we have the, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Notice the but there, conjunction, B-U-T. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not, n- not from us. I mean, that's a handful there of information and of uh, theology right there. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, yes, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed also in our body. Let's go down to verse 13. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Let's go down to verse 16 now. And this is, uh, you know, one of the central uh, pieces of this whole passage. Therefore, we do not lose heart. That's the call of the Holy Spirit to your life this morning. Do not lose heart. Okay, when the going gets rough and too long, do not lose heart. Though outwardly, that is in our physical self, we are wasting away, yet inwardly in our spiritual self, we are being actually renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, momentary meaning of just temporary, short-lasting Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That is our troubles. This glory that we are being recipients of is so much greater than than the, the, the relatively small problems that we experience. So what is the result? We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is what? Eternal. Praise the Lord. Make that a subject of your meditation this week, this passage, because it's impossible to um, exhaust it all. So what do we have here? You know, the exegetes and people who study the Word always say, when you see a but or an and at the beginning of a passage, Go before it and try to find out why it says but or and. You know, there's, there's something before that relates to that, uh, that follows, no? And so why does, why does Paul say, but we have this treasure? Well, if you read, um, I guess, the entire um, beginning of the, this book of 2 Corinthians, all the passages before this moment, Paul is speaking about, you know, just the glory of the gospel, the, the fact that we are, for example, in chapter 2 at the end, we are ministers of this new gospel. In verse 14, it says, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. On and on and on. In, in uh, verse uh, uh, 7 and on, he, you know, he speaks about the greater glory of this new covenant, this, this increasing, ever-increasing glory which comes 
from the Lord. In chapter 4, in the beginning, he's speaking about these displays of glory, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, that we serve to um, express and to, you know, uh, spread over the world through the message of the gospel. So, you know, he's, he's bringing us into this amazing uh, expression, image of the greatness of the gospel to which we are connected and which we, we are used by God to project to the world. I mean, we have this sublime connection to the greatness of the gospel. And, um, and yet, this is why he says, but, um, he, he's, he's correcting that. So, you know, lest we become so enthused with ourselves and so um, full of ourselves and, you know, so confident because we are used by God to do these great things and we handle this amazing power that is the power of Christ in the world, he, he sort of cautions us a bit and he adds an element of a soberness to his words. And he says, but, you know, there's something uh, ironic. There's irony, by the way, in this moment here. Uh, we have this treasure. In other words, all these great things that he has been declaring about the gospel and our connection to it, the fact that we are um, instruments of that, we, this great treasure that lies within us, we have it in jars of clay. I mean, would you, would you ever conceive of uh, taking a, a precious diamond worth millions of dollars, perfect in every way, like Mary Poppins, perfect in every way, and uh, you, would you take that diamond and put it in a, I don't know, in a, a frame of uh, aluminum or... or um, you know, aluminum foil even, worse. Would you take something very precious and inject it or, or encase it in something that is unworthy of its greatness and its quality? You wouldn't do that. You would take a diamond, you put it in gold or, or some other precious metal if there were, that were appropriate. Because the, the, the frame has to be appropriate <clears throat> to whatever is contained. A glorious picture must be framed in in a frame that, that really does justice to it. And yet God has done precisely the opposite. He has taken the greatness of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, the sublimity of his spirit, and he has put it in jars of clay. And, you know, clay reminds us that we are made of earth. Uh, we, we are, you know, clay that God has enlivened through his spirit. And this is what God chose to Project the gospel through you and me, imperfect, fallen, prone to sin, full of weaknesses and defects, contradicting the gospel sometimes even as we declare it and announce it. So, you know, he, he's, Paul is calling us to consider that always, that we are jars of clay um, who are a contradiction inherently of the greatness of the gospel that we uh, embrace and that we project. And I think that being aware of that always, it, it, there's, there's, a, there's a certain level of um, health and wholeness in that fact. I think when you give up this idea that you have to be perfect, that you have to be unblemished, that you always have to be good and um, you know, excellent in everything that you do, um, and you place upon yourself 
unnecessary burdens uh, of perfection, and you live um, in agony and self-condemnation uh, and guilt over the fact that you're not as good as you should be given the greatness of the gospel that you embody, you know, the fact that you should understand that this is the, this is the condition that we live in, that this is what we are, that this is the way we are. And of course, that is not meant to say that we grow complacent and that we don't try and aim for excellence in the way we live out the gospel. But it does uh, tell us that we need to take it with a grain of salt. We need to administer to ourselves a certain level of uh, grace. Because sometimes God is very pleased with us despite our deficiencies. But here we are condemning ourselves, you know, accusing us or allowing the devil to accuse us as he's so capable of doing and taking out the joy, taking the joy of the, of the Spirit from us and, and preventing us from announcing the gospel because, ah, I've offended God and I'm not everything that I should be or even I'm living in a contradiction of what I'm, what I'm witnessing. And that's what the devil would like to do. He would like to just make us so aware of our weakness and the inadequacies of our frame to neutralize us to serve others, and also just to experience the joy of our salvation and uh, to render us ineffective. And we should understand that this is a, this is a structural reality of um, the human condition of the gospel, the fact that that's, that's just the way it is, um, and, and that that's a reality that we will have to contend with until the day we die. And we should find uh, accommodation. We should find... Um, you know, uh, satisfaction in, in things being that way, and we should move within that reality, even as we aim for greatness in the kingdom. So he says, we have this treasure of the gospel in an imperfect, humble frame that contradicts the very glory of it. But um, the point also is this, that there are some really interesting good qualities that come out of this good situations, uh, good results that come from this contradiction that we experience, that we live in, that uh, there's a darkness that accompanies uh, the Christian journey, but that darkness only makes uh, the glory of God more uh, expressed, more fully expressed. Like, uh, again, you put a diamond sometimes in, in a black felt uh, or kind of, a, you know, cloth in order to, you know, to shine more clearly the beauty of the diamond. And the greatness of the gospel has a background that is our weakness, our flaws, our fallenness, our sufferings, and it just makes the gospel shine even more in its glory. The fact that God has deigned to put his great treasures of truth, justice, holiness, love in these, frame, in the, in these frail frames that we are. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? What is one of the things? One, what, why should we then find goodness in that? Why should we find value in that fact? Well, here's one of them. You know, he's, he lists several of them. He says, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So there you have one amazing value from our weaknesses. All of a sudden, it puts the... the the light on this God who needs to be glorified. The whole universe exists to glorify God and, and to, to adore Him, to declare 
his attributes. And there's something inherently of worth in that. Don't compare, you know, the glory that we get sometimes. God is not conceited, in other words. God is not somehow selfishly seeking his glory. It's just the whole universe. I mean, you can't get out of the reference, the referential frame of uh, this fact. You can't criticize it. It is a fact that God must be glorified, that the whole universe exists for him. You can't somehow step out of that and, and see it and criticize it. You live within it. You live within the fact that the universe is built, that you exist, that you have been designed to bring glory to God, that all that the universe does is simply focusing, like the perspective of an artist, it's all leading to one point, and that is the glory of God. And so um, God has made it so that our weaknesses um, portray or emphasize his attributes of goodness, of kindness, of uh, grace, the fact that he deigns to work in us and through us, despite the perfection that he is, show how, what a gracious God. It prevents us from being uh, overly proud. You know, God is very jealous of his glory. And whenever he discerns an opportunity to, for anything to take his glory away, or to bring glory to the man, or the woman, he is very careful to realign those circumstances, to make sure that in the end, he is glorified. So, um, and, and again, that's, that's just the way it is. He, it, because, again, I, I think that the whole, I don't want to get too deep into theology here, but the, the fallenness of this world, you know, all the bad things that we experience are the result of a, a, an essential rejection of God's glory and disobedience and a seeking to wrest glory from him and put it someplace else. Why has the world fallen? Because Satan uh, seduced mankind back in its very origins because Lucifer has always been trying to wrest the glory from God and get it to himself. And this is the source of every evil in the world. Mankind has always uh, sought to give glory to itself and to bring glory to its culture, to its power, to its technology, to its wealth, to its artistic capacities and so on. We have taken this glory that comes from God and we have sought to just retain it for ourselves instead of just projecting it back to God. And that's the source of all the suffering and all the evil in the world. And so God has a, a, an issue with anything that tries to steal the glory from him. And he's always seeking to bring the glory back to where it belongs, which is to himself. Which, by the way, is what gives, what gives uh, anything good that we do meaning. If you do anything good without giving glory to God, it loses its meaning, it loses its power, it loses its dignity. And only when you do things in praise of God and you give him the glory for any good thing that comes from you, only then is it really redeemed and capable of doing what, it's, what it needs to, be, to do. And so it, it is really important. It is, it is uh, intrinsically, let me use a word that's it's big here. And it is intrinsically important for the wealth and the health of the universe that uh, we always give glory to God. And, and when we fail, when we fall, 
when we display our weakness in any way, ultimately, we are saying God is necessary. This is why you need God. And we are recognizing that it is important for Him to get all the glory, you see? And you see it in... God is always protecting that. Remember Gideon? Uh, the, the, the narrative about Gideon, he had 32,000 men uh, who volunteered to fight against the Midianites um, to liberate Israel. And, um, you know, even though those 32,000 men were woefully inadequate for the many, many more tens of thousands that the enemy army was, God said still, you know, that's too many. I don't want you guys to uh, win this battle and then go saying that it was because, you know, you were such great warriors. So he takes Gideon and says, take him to the river for me. Well, first of all, he says, tell anybody who's afraid to leave. And so, uh, you know, because that's, that's the first group that God wanted to just get out. Anybody who's, you know, they're there just out of sense of duty. They're doing good. But, you know, just tell them to leave. That's okay. They don't need to be there. So 22,000 men went back home immediately. 22,000 men. Um, and only 10,000 were left. And uh, already that was huge, a huge, uh, very low number. So God says, no, that's still, that's still not enough. Go and test them in the waters of the river. And he puts them through a test which um, eliminates, uh, let's see, 10,000, 9,800, 9,700, because 300 were left. Immediately, were, uh, they ate, they, they drank water the wrong way, displaying something about their inner character, and uh, they were disqualified. Only 300 men out of 32,000, less than 1% was left. Why? Because wanted, God wanted it in such a way that it would be clear that it was, it was not because of Gideon's leadership, it wasn't because of the greatness of uh, Israeli, of Israelite might, or skill in war. It was just because of a miraculous um, intervention of God. So you see this God always doing that. And, and, and so we see that this is one of the things that, that uh, he, he, Paul is saying, that this also, in order to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. I could go on and on, but uh, just remember that um, when you feel absolutely floored by your inadequacy, Know that even, even there, somehow, especially in a frame of, uh, framework of love for God and humility toward God, your weakness, the fact that you, you can never get that A, that perfect A, um, you are glorifying God. And that God has designed the Christian experience, you know, to display these elements of uh, imperfection. So t- that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Ponder on that and let the Holy Spirit open up other dimensions of that, just that isolated fact. And then uh, uh, in verse 8, he says something uh, also uh, very revealing. He, he, he develops, what he will be doing now is illustrating and developing this very fact that our weakness uh, um, you know, portrays God's greatness. And he's doing it by dramatizing it, by by reinforcing it, by adding other images that, that illustrate this very fact. And, and, and really, it, it, let me not get ahead of myself, my thoughts here. We are, he says, because 
You see, guys, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Yes, he says, we are frail. Yes, we go through dark times. Yes, we uh, experience the persecution of the enemy in our lives. Yes, uh, we don't hit the mark all the time in our lives and in our experience. Yes, we sin. And yes, we don't get it right all the time. We have these great intentions, and then we always end up falling short. But you know what? Even when we are experiencing the extremes of our weakness, we haven't failed completely. There's always hope. There's always light. There's always, there's always a redeeming quality to our sufferings. Um, and I think that's the second reason why we should never feel somehow that all the negativity in our lives and the contradictions of our lives somehow is just irredeemable. It doesn't have anything good to them. And that's um, because even when we experience the greatest tribulations, the greatest failures, there's something, there's a silver lining. There's something redemptive left. I've, I've, I've said to you that, you know, one of my mantras is there's always a solution. There's always a way out of any situation. And I, that's an operating principle for me, okay? Um, I, whatever I experience in life, it might be small or large, I would say, there's got to be a solution somewhere, and the Lord is going to provide it. Um, what he's saying here, you know, we can experience all kinds of difficult situations, like the one we're facing right now, COVID-19 and all its sequelas, all its uh, consequences. You know, it is good to know that if you find, if you look for the gold in what you are experiencing, you are going to find it. The thing is to keep your eyes open for it. The thing is to look for those redeeming qualities in what you are experiencing. Because many times when we're experiencing failure in our lives or difficulty or trial, you know, we become so obsessed with the negative aspects of it that we, st we refrain from looking, what is God telling me? How is He working in this moment? What can I gain from it? How can I grow stronger from it? How can I learn an important lesson that will make me more powerful and more useful to the kingdom? So, you know, he takes examples. He says, yes, we are hard-pressed on every side. How many feel hard-pressed uh, right now to this situation that we are facing? You know, it means sometimes in life everything is kind of pressing on you, and, and everything seems to be going contrary to your interest. But you know what? Even then, you're not crushed. And you see the irony, the, the contrast here, no? You are pressing on something, but you are not crushing it. Yes, it, you are, you know, ex exercising pressure on it, but you're not succeeding in destroying it completely. So, yeah, we, we do experience difficulties, but know that God will never allow any test in your life to go to that point where it destroys you, where it crushes you. Where it, where it neutralizes you from being useful to the kingdom or from being a blessing to others or from being a blessing to yourself. Always know that no matter what you go through, even through the most harrowing moments of your life, there is always, if you look for it and you trust in the Lord and by faith you accept it, there will always be something good in it. And pray until the Lord gives you that discernment. So yes, you are pressed, but it doesn't crush you like a can of soda. It won't, it won't do that. It will exercise pressure on you. But even that pressure will produce something wonderful and good. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. You know, there are times when you Lord, how can you allow this? What possible good could come out of this situation? Uh, you know, you, you are perplexed 
theologically, biblically. You're saying, Lord, how does this inure to anything good or your glory or anything good coming from, our, from this? Again, if you look hard enough and you ask the Holy Spirit to give you the sermon and wisdom, you will find. So we are perplexed. But ideally, in the kingdom of God, even when we don't have the answers to all the reasons why we're suffering what we suffer, it could be a failed marriage, failed business, failed health, whatever it is, um, the, you know, we should never be in despair. Despair is when you abandon hope. Despair is when you just give up. Despair is when you cannot see anything good in your life. And then you do what so many people do. You, you consider or actually go ahead and uh, execute suicide. Or you go into the depths of depression and, and absolute hopelessness. You, you cease to believe that there's an exit. You know, believers, we should never go there. Because, um, you know, we should know that that's a forbidden zone. And, you know, it's interesting that depending on what you consider forbidden in your psyche, you will probably stay on the other side of it. It's only when we say to ourselves, you know, it's legitimate for me to fall into despair. It's legitimate for me to renounce God. It's legitimate for me to enter into that zone of absolute hopelessness. Uh, we do. There's a level of willpower that we can have. And this may sound excessively... Uh, Demanding, But no, I, I really believe that many times we give ourselves permission to go into despair. And if we believe that we should not, we, that's not for me, and we accept that as a, as a principle of life, we will, not go, we will not get to despair. We will always keep ourselves on this side. It is what, what, you, what you believe, what you uh, accept as legitimate for you, as an option for you, that's what you will visit. But if you believe that, no, I've been made for goodness, I've been made, God will find the way, and I, I will not visit despair. Um, I will not visit uh, suicide. I will not visit um, madness, because I believe that we sometimes, again, we abandon our rationality, and we give ourselves permission to go into utter neurosis, and so on. If you tell yourself, no, that's not for me, God has not destined me for that. Yes, I may be perplexed, I may not have the answer, but I, I will not fall into despair. Many illustrations come to mind. Think of Job, his wife telling him, hey, go kill yourself. I mean, renounce his God. No, he says, no, that's not, I know but that my Redeemer, my Redeemer lives. So again, don't give yourself permission to go there. You may be perplexed, but not in despair. Sometimes we are persecuted, but you know what? God never leaves us. We're not abandoned. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? Because you are with me. Amen. You know, God not, doesn't abandon you. We, we have spoken about that. I remember Francois recently preached about that. I've also said that when we are in the pit of despair, God is there to take us out, to listen to us. We're, not, we're never alone. Now, the enemy will want you to think that God has abandoned you, even when you have committed sin. I preached last Sunday at the 12 o'clock service. The Lord changed my message, and I preached about uh, Samson, who failed God in the most, you know, absolute of ways. And there he is. His eyes have been plucked out. He is rendered impotent. He is a prisoner. And yet, at the very last minute, he brings up this reserve of, of strength and of dignity, and he ends up destroying the enemy. 
more thoroughly than he ever did in his life. That's the last word that is said about uh, Samson, by the way. Failed God utterly. And yet in the end, God gives him this last ounce of energy and dignity to redeem himself. Uh, and God was there. And so, you know, we have to understand that, you know, God will never abandon us, that God will never leave us uh, or forsake us. Even, even though we go through the waters and the fire, we may be persecuted by the enemy. We may be persecuted by our own humanity, but we're not, God will never leave us. He is a faithful father and a faithful God, and he will never leave you no matter how utterly you fail him. If in your heart you trust in him and you commit yourself to him and you are humble, you confess your sin, you acknowledge his mercy, he will never leave you. God is a, this, this, in, in one passage, in one dramatic passage, it says, hey, if a woman can abandon the fruit of her womb, then I may be able to abandon you. And we would add even further, yes, sometimes a woman may, a woman may abandon their child, but even then God will not do it. Uh, he, he just, uh, he, he's been faithful. Look at Israel. He's been faithful to Israel, even though Israel has been utterly unfaithful to him. So we are, <clears throat> we are persecuted, but n- never abandoned, even in the pit of despair. Remember that always. And finally, it says we are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Think of a, and I'm going to stop here. I'm going to ask the team to come forward. I'm, let's just, uh, maybe what I'll do is I'll take the other piece of the sermon and I'll share it with you next Sunday. Um, we, may be, um, we may fall. We may be, you know, defeated in the sense of falling to the ground. We're struck down, but it's not a, K, it's not a knock, knockout. You've seen scenes of boxing where, um, I think I caught my uh, worship team by surprise, but if they're listening to me, uh, let them hurry up and come down. Um, but again, people of God, you know, you, you, may, be, you may be going through a, a time in your life where, um, you know, you, you, you've been struck down by the enemy. He's giving you a blow right in the kisser. And uh, you may have fallen to the floor. But, you know, there's a countdown. And uh, there is still time to get up. There is the opportunity. On the contrary, you, you've seen again these scenes where, you know, a fighter is uh, uh, struck down, but then they get up and what happens? You know, the, the, they get more glory as a result. You know, the fact that, that they persisted and that they were resilient and, and that they were able to get up, come forward guys, please, that they were able to get up actually uh, in yours to the glory of that boxer. You know, it's, it, it, many times it's not that you've had a kind of an unblemished record and you have been always victorious and always uh, perfect in your record. I think there's some beauty to the fact that you can forgive yourself, that um, you can be gentle with yourself and, and that you can get up and continue serving the Lord even more. That, that to me, you know, is something that is, that is even more worthy of glory to the Lord and to your own integrity and to your own character. So, yeah, at times we may come to that moment, you know, when we have, 
we have failed or we have lost something amazing and extraordinary. But yes, always remember, you are not, you are not knocked out. You may be knocked down, but you are not knocked out. You're not out of commission. In, in the kingdom of God, there's always new beginnings. The book of Lamentations says that the mercies of God are new. How? Every morning. And that promise is uttered in the context of great failure. The Jews had failed God and he had exiled them. And Jeremiah, in the midst of his sadness and his lamentation, he says, you know, but your, your mercies are new every morning. Por la bondad de Jehová no hemos sido consumidos. Because of the uh, kindness of the Lord, we have not been consumed. His mercies are new every morning. There's always hope. I, I don't know how long this uh, situation that we're facing may last and sometimes I hate to be alluding to it too much because the more we allude to these things sometimes the more important we make them out to be you know whatever but yes if you for whatever reason you you are feeling down and you've experienced or you are experiencing some level of uh, frustration or defeat or failure or discouragement think about the fact that uh, the last word has not been written yet. This is simply a paragraph within a chapter or a chapter within a book or a book within the universal narrative that is human existence, which we know the end of that big book. Satan loses, the kingdom wins. So no matter, no matter what part, what moment you're in, okay, remember, there's no, the end hasn't been written yet. Tomorrow, I want you to get up, and if you're feeling a little discouraged and a little worn out, just get up, eat your Wheaties, uh, put, yourself, put on yourself the nicest clothes that you can find, put some lipstick on, if you're a woman, <laughs> all right, um, a little cream on your skin if you're a guy, whatever. But um, come on, dress yourself and, and flaunt it in front of the devil, okay? And say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a great day this morning because God is here. His mercies are new every morning. I'm not going to let myself remain on the floor. I'm going to get up. I'm going to continue because God is going to renew His blessing and His kindness within me. I will never be defeated. I will never be destroyed. I will never be crushed. I will never be abandoned. All right? So, Father, this morning, c confess with me, whether you're at home, whether you're here, confess with me, God, you are a faithful God. You are a good God. And I have been made to display your glory in all kinds of um, enigmatic ways, mysterious ways. Sometimes even through darkness and failure, I, I, I will be displaying the message of the gospel of your grace and your love and, and your tolerance and your kindness, your faithfulness. Even when I am unfaithful, Lord, I know that you are faithful. And I know that I'm not living in my own strength. I'm living in the strength of your spirit that is within me. 
Even when I don't honor that spirit, your spirit is within me. And I will never uh, cede to self-accusation. I will never abandon myself to self-condemnation. I will never abandon myself to defeat. I will always confess that you're a good God. And even in my moments of weakness, I'm displaying your glory. And thank you because you have not abandoned me. Thank you because you are merciful. You're present. You're always there. Hallelujah. We thank you, Father, this morning. I pray that this feeling of uh, invincibility will reach every heart within uh, these words and that we will be able to display your goodness and your love always. Holy Spirit, fill us anew. Forgive us for doubting. Forgive us for saying, I can't do it. And renew our sense of hope and of closeness to you and of you to us this morning. We worship you. We glorify you. And if you, if you don't know Jesus Christ and you're listening to us or watching us, if you're here this morning, I encourage you right now to ask the Lord Jesus to come into your life or renew your dependency on him. Confess him as your Lord and your Savior. Would you do that right now? You say, Lord, my salvation doesn't depend on me. I recognize that it depends on what you achieved on the cross. So I will rest on you. I, I choose you as my Savior, as my Lord. I choose you as the governor of my life. I choose you as my creator, my sustainer. I choose you as the guarantor of my eternal destiny. Thank you for what you did on the cross, Jesus. Thank you because you have made me a ch child of God through your sacrifice on the cross. And I receive the benefits of your blood, the benefits of your life spilled on my behalf on the cross this morning. And I will follow you. I will obey you. I will live under your grace. I confess you as my Lord and Savior. And when I go out there, I will do it in the name of Christ, in the name of Jesus. I commit my sins also to your grace. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive our sins, yes. And forgive us when we trespass against your law. And may your grace cover us. We receive you, we confess you. We welcome you into our lives as the Lord that you are. Thank you for this moment. Take us away from here in hope. In Jesus' name. And the people of God say... Amen. Let's live that gospel, that glorious gospel, out every day. Amen.